0: What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> ECW one-weight champion. The ECW. When you want to load down the professional wrestling, come right here to the two-man power trip of wrestling. You'll get all the load down. Ha, 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 ha.
1: Well, guys, it's great to be on the, on the
0: show again. I appreciate you asking me back. It just You said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind of show now.
1: I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. but
0: Chad and
1: John, the two-man power trip. That's, uh, that's an awesome uh, name for yourselves. Good, how you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man, what's going on? We ready to go or what? Oh, okay. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Scotty Riggs, and you're listening to the Two-Man Power Trip of Wrestling.
0: Hey, man, what's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie! Homicide with a big homie club! Yeah, that would be it. <laughs> hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the Two-Man Power Trip of Wrestling.
1: Well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me.
0: This
2: is is the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling, and my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, Primetime John Paz, and John, you heard the music right off the top. And although we have been joined by the real American hero himself, Sergeant Slaughter, a true G.I. Joe, this time we're welcoming in somebody who could fit right alongside the Sarge, the great Tim Kennedy, a former Army Ranger, a UFC fighter, and a member of the show Hunting Hitler on the History Channel. And, John, I know this is an episode that you were dying to put together. This is one that you... Literally, we're telling me how excited you were to put all the information together to get the one sheet together on Tim Kennedy, get this episode out to the public, especially with a day like Memorial Day just passing yesterday. And John, as we get started here, why don't you tell us a little bit about Tim Kennedy and Hunting Hitler and why this show is one of your favorites?
1: yes chad back here again at the two-man power trip and this is a little bit of a different episode for us today i know we do a lot i mean mostly we do a ton of pro wrestling and obviously we do get into the mma world as well we've interviewed ken shamrock dan the beast seven don fry we had on Frankie Edgar, Jeremy Stevens, Donald Cerrone. So we've had a lot of MMA guys on, but none quite with the resume of one Tim Kennedy, who is just a fantastic interview, and he's one of the most fascinating and the most outspoken of MMA fighters out there. What an awesome guest. This is one of my favorite interviews, without a doubt. You know, he is definitely, without a shadow of a doubt, a true American hero and he like we've said before Chad privately this guy's like a real true like GI Joe if you think about it former army ranger sergeant first-class Green Parade he's fought in the Iraq war fought in the Afghanistan war I mean he's done it all as far as the military is concerned it's just awesome to see you know especially with uh, memorial day just passing what this guy has done for the United States, what he's done for our military, and it's just a true testament to what a great man he is and what a great soldier he is, and we just would like to thank him so much, not only for coming on for an interview, but for his so many years of service. Just awesome when you look at it and you think about it, man, like, man, this guy is the real definition of a true hero, and his military background is fantastic and absolutely love it. And one great aspect that we get to talk to, because uh, Chad, you're into it because of your father, and I'm into it because of my father, but history, not only American history, but world history. And who better to talk to about world history than a man that stars in the show on the History Channel called Hunting Hitler, where that literally turns history upside down, you know, turns it all around, flips it on its head. It has completely changed the game. If anybody has not seen that show, you will absolutely love it. It's one of my favorite shows. It's on the History Channel. It's called Hunting Hitler. just want to make sure I mention that one more time. The U.S. government has actually released documents now to show more in-depth about what happened in 1945. And what we've come to find out is Hitler wasn't uh, exactly killed the way we thought he was, and obviously Tim Kennedy is one of the guys that helps try to figure out what actually did happen then. And it's pretty funny, if Hitler died in April of 1945, why are we still looking for him and seeing pictures of him in August of 1945? So just crazy, crazy stuff, and we do get into that in the beginning of the interview. We talk about that stuff. Uh, because he's a great part of that show and it's just awesome to see him on that show playing such a cool, vital role and you get to see more of his personality, which really, really shines through. So hunting Hitler on the History Channel is great and the military
2: background of Tim Kennedy really shines through. He's definitely a crossover star. That is without a doubt. But want to talk about his time in the UFC and in mixed martial arts. And John, of course, that would be his bread and butter. And I know you got him to talk about some pretty cool stuff when it comes to uh, maybe some of the controversies going on surrounding a couple of his fights as well as some things going on in and around the mixed martial arts world. But John, go into it specifically about his time in the UFC since he moved in there from Strike Force and how his future could possibly look, even though he hasn't been active for a little while. But what do we have to look forward to when it comes to the mixed martial arts career of a Tim Kennedy?
1: Now, we talked about, obviously, the military background. is just fantastic. But what is he? Why are we interviewing him for this show? He is a great MMA fighter. He hasn't fought in a couple years. Now, there's a reason behind that. Obviously, he's busy with hunting Hitler. He's busy with a lot of other things. He's uh, busy with Ranger Up. His um, his company over there um, serving the great military people. Also, he's doing a million different other things that's going on that really kind of overshadow his UFC career right now because there's really no big fights for him out there that he's really looking for. And we go in depth into the interview about why he's not fighting right now in the UFC and what happened his last fight with Yoel Romero, that was a complete screw job. And we do get really in depth into that. Think about his UFC career. He's technically speaking, he's three and one. He destroyed Michael Bisbang quite easily. And now Michael Bisbang is going on to a title fight against Luke Ruckold, which is kind of funny the way he kind of backed into it, but Shouldn't Tim Kennedy be getting a title shot, if you really want to think about it? So, I mean, the UFC and Dana White, we do get uh, into uh, his opinion on them and all all the stuff that's going on over there. Obviously, they're a little bit dopey in, in a couple of ways that they deal with things, but he destroyed Michael Bisping, beat him quite easily. And if you go back to his days at Strikeforce, he had a very competitive fight against Luke Ruckold. Besides Ruckold's fight against Belfort, which you find out Belfort was probably on steroids for um, and Tim Kennedy goes into depth about all the Brazilians and all the steroid use, which is just awesome how outspoken and honest he is about that issue as well. But the toughest fight Ruckhold's ever had was really against Tim Kennedy if you go back to Strikeforce. I mean, Ruckold had a, kind of an easy time with Jacare. And Tim Kennedy as well should have won, won that fight as well. So, I mean, it's just crazy, crazy stuff with Tim and his career. And it's just funny when you think about it how much of a great underrated fighter he is, really should be 4-0 in the UFC, should be getting title fights, should be more... you know, prominent on those cards, but he hasn't fought in a while. He's kind of just sitting back waiting. He really doesn't have to fight, really doesn't want to fight. But if they're going to give him some big money fights, he will definitely do it. Ruckhold would be a nice fight. I was actually just thinking uh, Dan Henderson, the legend, one of the greatest MMA fighters of all time. That would be a fun fight. And, of course, Andy Silva, Anderson Silva, that would be a nice, fun fight for him. He, As he says in the interview, easy win, which is hilarious. He also would like to fight uh, Vitor Belfort, another big-time name. But of course, as it comes with that, Yoel Romero, pop with steroids, Vitor Belfort, pop with steroids, Anderson Silva, pop for steroids. So we do get into all that and and what he will be doing coming up. Will he be fighting? Will he not? Listen to the interview. You're absolutely going to love it. It's such a fascinating interview. One of the most fun interviews I've done, not only for the history background, for his military background, but it's just great to get in depth on his MMA career and get some outspoken comments because you could pretty much just ask him anything and he'll give you an honest answer and that's one of the interviews as an you know as an interviewer that you just absolutely love so sit back relax enjoy a true true American
2: hero in Tim Kennedy He's definitely a G.I. Joe come to life. And please go out of your way to look up Hunting Hitler on the History Channel. If you can find it on demand or if you can find it when it's on, check it out. It's an absolutely mind-blowing show. I know John turned me on to it, and it's one of those that you can't, uh, you can't stop watching once you watch one or two And you're definitely going to want to listen to it. Uh, You're going to want to view it after you listen to Tim Kennedy on this episode. And as always, if you like what you just heard, please reach out to us on social media. And John's going to give you the information on that in just a minute. But we also want to get you ready for June 11th, 2016 in the great state of New Jersey down there at the Monroe Legends of the Ring 2016, the first one of the year. Come on out see the two-man power trip of wrestling and our good old buddy, go back and listen to his episode if you can. The great Buff Bagwell will be joining us live and in living color at the Legends of the Ring convention in Monroe, New Jersey on June 11th. Head on over to our Facebook page and get all the information about Legends of the Ring and Buff Bagwell. And if you're in the listening area, you want to come on out, Why don't you do so? Because you'll find out firsthand that Buff still is the stuff. And with that being said, John, hit them with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business and get it on over to a real American hero, Tim Kennedy.
1: And now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at WrestlingPalin and at Two Man Power Trip. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. We are releasing the latest and greatest clips. Also subscribe to us on iTunes. While you're on there, please check out the feed for prior great episodes with the late American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, Jesse the Body, Ventura, Mister Wonderful, Paul Orndorff, the phenomenal A.J. Styles, the Demon. Glenn Kane Jacobs, The Lunatic Fringe, Dean Ambrose, Stan the Laird Hanson, and many, many more. Also, please check out our website, tmptofwrestling.com, that is tmptofwrestling.com. You can now check us out on Google Play, as well as Player FM and the I-95 Sports Network. For any bookings, please hit up our email, bookings at tmptofwrestling.com, that is bookings at Wrestling.com for any of your booking needs. Also, check out our store on prowrestlingtees.com. It is new and it is awesome. So please check it out as prowrestlingtees.com. Also while you're there, check out the Kevin Thorne page as well as the Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndraff page and the coming soon, the Buff Bagwell page. So please check that out on prowrestlingtees.com. And now, without any further ado, a former U.S. Army Ranger, a former sergeant first class. He has fought in the Iraq War and the war in Afghanistan. He is one of the stars of History Channel's Hunting Hitler. He is an MMA fighter for both Strike Force formerly and now for the UFC. He is a real-life G.I. Joe and a true American hero. He is... Tim Kennedy. Please enjoy. Yeah. Fighter, a war hero, and the star of one of my favorite shows on TV, Hunting Hitler. He is the legendary, the great, the sergeant. Tim Kennedy, welcome to the two man power trip.
0: (laughs) What's going on?
1: Fun introduction. (laughs) First question, first and foremost, I got to get this out because I've been wondering this for quite a long time now, and then this is this. If Hitler was dead in April of 1945, why was the United States looking for him in August of
0: 1945?
1: Oh, man. Um, I have
0: no idea. And it wasn't just America. You know, uh, pretty much every major intelligence agency on the planet, to a degree, was looking for that guy. Um, So that sucks. (laughs)
1: When you were originally asked to you know to be on the show onto Hitler, which is on the History Channel, what were your initial impressions?
0: I, I thought it was a waste of time. Um, you know, when they pitched me the show, I was like, uh, "Man, I don't want to do any conspiracy theory stuff." You know, I don't, um, I don't get stuck in that niche of television. Um, and like, we'll just read through some of these documents, you know, and having been in the military for so long and having talked um, and been involved in such, you know, kind of high-profile cases, uh, the the possibility that we had been lied to by our government um, was obviously very real. Um, so, you know, it was just scary. It's, ultimately, it's like, I guess I had to I had to come to terms with the fact that, you know, maybe the worst dude on the planet really did survive and um and this might be the first opportunity for people to go and do some real research to see if that is the, is in fact the case.
1: Then when all this stuff was presented to you and you know you start seeing the evidence mount up and then you start seeing the fact that the Russians claimed he was dead they go look at the you know the skull. It wasn't even a male skull. Um, basically, the evidence is ridiculously in disfavor that he was alive. What were your impressions at this point as you're looking at the evidence and saying like, "Wow, you know the Russians were wrong, the United States was wrong, and we need to kind of go forward and really investigate this."
0: It was it was not heartbreaking. Um, it's disconcerting. You know the. I like all Americans having you know having read history and had our kind of our assumptions about what took place because that's what we were told um you know the the narrative told to us over and over and over again was these things happened in this you know this linear chronological timeline um you know he went into the bunker at this date and he stayed in the bunker until this date, and then he and his you know and then wife killed themselves, and then the Russians took their bodies. Like that—that's that, what we're told, and that seems so factual, um, you know. But then, the more you dug into it, the more you realized, like, how inaccurate those the, those conjectures were. And that's all—that's all they were, um, you know. Like, the, World War II is coming to an end. We we're moving into the Cold War, and we had to have—we had to have closure on Hitler. We had to have closure on of the genocide of the Jews. We had to have um the end to World War Two so we could move on to what was going to be a much more financially taxing war, which is going to be the Cold War. So it sucked,
1: you know? Definitely. And it's kind of crazy when you really look at it and and everyone for God knows all these years just believed it as a fact. It's like, nah, he was dead. He was dead. And then the FBI documents come out. Then you guys do the research and, and it's so clearly obvious just from watching the show that. You know, he definitely escaped, and there was definitely all this stuff going on in all these different countries. So, what is it like for you to be able to travel to all these different countries? and each country, you know, you're going to Argentina, you discover this. You know, you go here, and you find some Nazi money and, and Nazi symbols and stuff. Is that just like a surreal thing for you? You're traveling all around, and you're actually deep, basically changing history as we know it.
0: Yeah, you know, at this point,
1: we know that we've changed history. You know, you can't you can't
0: objectively say that. The way the history books are written are accurate. Um, you 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 have to now say you know like it is believed or it is assumed. You have to throw that word in there. Um, but honestly, until we get, because a lot of the a lot of the evidence that we have come up with, you know, is um, circumstantial. What we need uh, we need that smoking gun. We you know we're we're trying to get access to Eva Braun's genetic family. Um, we're trying to get into Russia to do some more genetic testing of the skull. Um, you know, we're going to go back down to Argentina. You know, like there's a lot more we have to do, and you know, there are things that would absolutely, conclusively, definitively prove um, kind of our our theory, and, uh, and and we're still striving for those.
1: I can't wait for a season two to pop up because it's just awesome. But if I can go to the MMA side of things, which was great because I'm watching the show and I didn't realize you were on it. I'm like, oh, my God, Ken Kennedy's on the show. I've been following you very closely since about uh, 2009 when you were in Strike force especially because of your military background, which really stuck out to me. But then you're such a great fighter, so it's just real cool. And something that I like to do, I, and I don't know, obviously this is totally unofficial and there will never be stats on it, I like to go back and look up fights and say, okay, this guy tested positive for steroids, or this guy did that, or, you know, this guy cheated. And, like, okay, I'm erasing that guy's win from the record book, and that doesn't count as a loss. And I just kind of go back and I change records. So one thing that really stuck out with me, you know, with you from a couple years ago is your fight with Romero, uh, Yoel Romero. And I kind of crossed it off as a win for him, and I kind of crossed it off as a loss for you because isn't it, if if you don't come off the the stool, isn't that an automatic DQ? Isn't that an automatic almost saying you threw in a towel and then you quit? Uh, Not almost, it is. Like, according to
0: every single rule that exists in May, if you don't answer the bell, uh,
1: you lose the fight. It's so crazy that I don't know what the ref was thinking that night or whatever, because right then and there, basically, you know, not to give you an excuse, but you, you, you thought the fight was over. It was definitely over. He basically quit on the stool. He was exhausted. He wouldn't get up. He was kind of playing head games a little with the ref. He was kind of uh, fooling around with his own teammates. Romero, obviously, and and it came out a little bit later that he is, but do you think he's a bit of a cheater and and tries to bend and stretch the rules as much as he can?
0: I don't think he's a bit of a cheater. You know, before the fight took place, uh, I was in the back with John McCarthy, and I was like, listen, John, um, every time Romero fights, he cheats. Um, And any time that he's hurt, he's going to immediately cheat. So if I hurt him, and I'm going to hurt him, you need to be ready for whatever shenanigans he's going to pull. You know, and he's like, don't tell me how to do my job, Tim. I've been doing this longer than you've been fighting. And I was like, ah, we we'll have been doing this about the same time, but okay. Um, <laughs> and, you know, when, when he was fighting Derek Brunson, Derek Brunson hurt, I mean, hurt him bad. Had him on the ropes, about to knock him out. And then he just blasts him with a kick to the groin. Um, and he's done that numerous times. Anytime he's hurt or anytime he's tired, he just kicks a dude to the groin. Um, you know, he grabs the cage uh, if he's going to get taken down. He pokes guys in the eyes. He, he even poops on them. You know, like, the, there's no element of, athletic, of, of clean athletic spirit from that guy. He's a cheater in every single way on every, at every opportunity. And John, you know, obviously didn't heed my words, so I knock him out at the end of the second round and not only does he cheat, but then he, like, is able to pull the wool over John's eyes and com-
1: completely just own the ref, too. Such a crazy thing to happen, and he kind of sad it in a way because it's just, you know, utterly ridiculous that he, you know, being the experienced referee that he is, could fall for something like that, and obviously Romero uh, was proven to be a steroid user as well, and if you look at yeah. some pictures of his body, it's funny. You look at one picture... And even when he was at 205, it's like, okay, this guy is looking a little big. And then you look at him at 185, you know, he's ripped to the 9. You, do you ever look back and say, like, you know, the sport has to do something about cheaters like this? I mean, the guy's clearly on steroids and got pop for it. Yeah. Uh,
0: well, they're trying to do something about it. Coincidentally, uh, just a couple of days ago, I had um U.S. ADA inspector show up at my door at 7 a.m., um, and you know, stay there here to collect a urine uh, sample for steroids. Um, so they're trying to make a difference. Um, they're you know taking guy, testing guys out of competition, and that's that's uh, um, ultimately you know like how how you're going to catch guys is because you know only only dumb guys are going to cheat on fight night. Um, it's fight camp and after fight. Where you know you're gonna guys guys gonna be using um, performance enhancing drugs.
1: Very smart, and it's very good to see them kind of going in that direction. Do you think that the UFC is so much invested in like USADA doing stuff like that and them doing the testing, or do you think that's kind of like a, maybe a mask? It's like, oh yeah, we're interested in it because there's no real punishment to these guys except for from the uh, you know the the, the um, committees and stuff like that. You know they.
0: when when it came out that they're going to be doing this out-of-competition testing, um, they talked about all these strict um, penalties that guys are going to be receiving, you know, lifetime bans, five-year bans. Um, I think still the longest duration of time that somebody has been suspended is one year. Um, You know, this – I don't want to sound like I'm whining, you know, but this is a different sport than – Baseball. You know, this isn't Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, you know, competing to see who can hit more balls over a wall. Um, You know, this is dudes trying to knock each other out or choke each other unconscious. Um, You know, the the severity of the penalty has to to be different. You know, it has to be more serious. And, you know, hopefully we'll continue to go down this road of seeing a clean sport,
1: um, but we're nowhere near where we should be. Definitely not. I feel like more guys pop up each day, you know, and get caught with something. And I hate to put the umbrella or kind of, because I know it's a lot of different guys from a lot of different countries, especially the U.S., but it seems like more than not, most of the Brazilians, um, I don't know if they think they can get away with it or not, but it seems like basically 90% of the Brazilian fighters have got caught one point or another. Anderson Silva, Vitor Belfort, uh, if you saw uh, Jose Aldo, looks like half the guy he used to be. I mean, do you think it's an epidemic in Brazil that these guys, even uh, all the Gracies have gotten caught at one point or another? Do you think it's kind of an epidemic that these Brazilian fighters just think they can kind of just you know, skirt the rules a bit and get away with this?
0: Uh, y- yes. I think it is a cultural thing. It's an access thing. You know, they're so readily available in South America that you, know, you can walk into like the equivalent of a CVS and get an anabolic steroid. Um, and I I I go to South America often, and I'm you know, I'm telling you firsthand, like you can see, like I've watched guys walk in and say, like, "Hey, I need to get some, you know, inserts, anabolic steroid," and it's handed to them over counter. Um, and then the, the there are particular fight camps here in the United States that lend themselves to to cheaters. Um, you know, American top team and Brazilian top team, and uh, the Black Zillions. Regardless, you know, like I, I don't want to offend anybody, but um, they have more people testing hot than any other teams out there. By any other teams, I mean all of the other teams combined. You know, you go to Jackson's, aka um, what's the, uh, the Arizona uh, Ryan Bader. You can take all of the uh, TriStar, you can take all of the other super gyms, combine the number of guys that have tested positive, and they don't equal one of the other schools like the Black Zillions or American Top Team. Um, and coincidentally, there are way more Brazilians that train at both of them. So,
1: hmm,
0: yeah, there is a problem both in the culture, the Brazilian culture and their approach to fighting, and then, and then also at specific gyms.
1: It, without a doubt, and it's funny because uh, it's—I don't know if they realize it. It's pretty obvious, like a, a guy like Vitor Belfort. Okay, he looks—you know—he looks flabby, he looks whatever. And then all of a sudden, you know, he's knocking out Dan Anderson, but he looks like the Incredible Hulk. And you know, it's just—it's just funny. It's like, does um, anybody going to test this guy or realize that he's definitely on something? And then you even look at Anderson Silva, whose kind of whole career was tarnished now that he got caught and had to sit out a year. But the guy Anderson Silva has been. Kind of on your radar, or maybe not anymore, but you still thinking about a possible fight against Anderson Silva?
0: I've been, like, begging and pleading for a fight against Anderson Silva. I mean, one, it's an easy payday. You know, I, yeah, he's, um, he may have been, like, the greatest ever. That would way a moment he tested positive for steroids. Um, you know, had he, like, broken his leg in his Chris Weidman fight and he just went quietly into the night, I would say that he is he is one of the best ever. Now. Now he's just another cheater. Now he's just another Vitor Belfort. Um, now he's just another Brazilian that I want to knock out. Um, and both Silva and Belfort would be super easy fights, on the sauce or off the sauce. But uh, you know, like now the way that we're being tested, it, it, is, it is difficult to be able to cheat. And um, so that makes it a really, really easy fight.
1: Plus, he's so popular. I mean, obviously, like you said, it would be a nice little payday because of his popularity. But the interesting thing about him, uh, he just lost to Michael Bisping, who's a you know big popular name. And they're talking about Bisping title shots and stuff like that, which is a little crazy considering. I wouldn't say you destroyed Bisping, but you you beat him quite handily. You kind of, kind of find that funny, like okay, I destroyed. Not, well I'll just say I beat Bisbang and then Bisming beat in Silva and now all of a sudden Bisming might get a title shot. You ever just think think back and say, shouldn't I get a title shot? Like kinda of fine. Uh you know,
0: I've been out of it a second, so I'm not gonna Yeah, it's it's it is like Robbie Lawler's the champ. You know, like I beat the brakes off Robbie Lawler for fifteen minutes. Um Joel Romero, you know, they're saying that he was the number one contender. Um I knocked him out and then he didn't answer the third round bell. Um, Michael Bisbane, you know, we had a five-round battle, and I beat him for five rounds. You know, I, I tripled the amount of strikes landed, and I landed, like, 17 takedowns, more takedowns in that one fight than he's had landed on him in his entire career. Um, So, but now, you know, one guy's a champ, another one's a contender, and the other one's probably going to get a title fight. And then I see my that people have me ranked at, like, eight or nine it just blows my mind. I'm like, at what at what, at what point did I just auto like just get forgotten and then just end up sucking? You know, like how, how, let me remind you that I've beaten every one of these dudes, and uh, and I'm you know I'm still
2: here.
1: I laugh at those rankings sometimes because they're so weird. Because Bisbing is ahead of you. He's seven. You're eight on a bunch of people's teams, but, but you you know, but you beat him, so how could that be possible? The ranking systems, you kind of just laugh at it and just say, this thing is such a joke.
0: Yeah, it's subjective, you know, it's, um, we're just, just better than figure skating in, like, how
1: silly um, <laughs>
0: ju- judging and rankings are.
1: Hmm. Judging is, an, is a whole other thing, but, you know, it's interesting, uh, obviously, you know, uh, Lawler is one champ, and then you got Ruckhold, who's the other champ, and you look at your fight against Ruckhold in Strike Force, it was so close. And then you look at Ruckhold's fight against Weidman in UFC for the title, he destroyed Weidman. I mean, they could have stopped the fight the round before when he had Weidman finished. Do you ever look at that and say, man, the Strike Force guys are kind of just dominating the UFC right now?
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, the only guy that's like hanging in there is Michael Bisbee, but then he hasn't fought any of us Strike Force guys. Um, you know, from Jacques uh, I won't even talk about UL because you know, obviously he's a cheater. But, um, you know, mm. Jock Ray's right up there as number one contender. Obviously, Luke as the champ. Um, you know, I would rank myself at like three or four. So, pretty much, you have the champ, and then you have all who is a Strike Force guy, and then you have all Strike Force guys. And then occasionally you can drop a UFC name in there once in a while. But just because they haven't fought, they haven't fought one of us yet.
1: It's funny just like looking at it and everyone used to kind of put down Strike Force and this and that. And now they kind of are taking over. Even, you know, obviously Rousey's from Strike Force, Misha Tate is the champion now, she's from Strike Force. So many guys from Strike Force, Cormier is the champion from Strike Force. I mean, so many guys in Strike Force have just proven themselves to be just as good or better than these UFC guys. And then you just mentioned Jacare. When you fought Jacare, that was a very closely contested fight. And when Jacare fought a lot of these other guys, he's kind of made it quick and easy work. You know, what do you think about a guy like Jacare and, you know, him possibly yeah. becoming the, the next number one contender?
0: Man, I, I still think I um, – I don't know how I lost that fight. Um, I know I had a swing yeah, from the from overhand right. Uh, I really thought I destroyed um, – not destroyed. It was a close fight, you know, and, and you know, and we know we can't let it go to the judges. But I thought I'd beat Jacare. Um, landed more punches, landed more kicks, landed more significant strikes. Landed more takedowns, uh, but, you know, I don't know. Judging. There you go again.
1: Yes, judging than MMA. Slightly, yeah. Such an issue and so crazy, some of the decisions that come out of it. I kind of thought you won that one. The Rock Hole fight was a little bit closer, kind of could have went either way in Strike Force. But you've had such a good run, even in Strike Force. I mean, you know, like you mentioned, you, you beat up Robbie Lawler, who was just destroying people. Um, and even the guy as dangerous as Melvin Mancoff he kind of uh you know, easily defeated him as well. Do you ever look back at some of your strike force fights and say, like those are almost better than some of the UFC fights because of the caliber of opponents? Uh, yeah. I I think everybody's gonna fight up to the level of their competition.
0: And um you know, when I was fighting Jacare and Robbie Lawler and Luke Rockhold, um I fight. I fought better because they're the best athletes. You know, like the, um, the. I think they're the best fighters on the planet. So, you know, it's. I, I I think most athletes will do that. They're gonna always up the game when the real athletes, talented athletes. You know, anytime that you step in there with a guy, that's good. You're always gonna fight better.
1: That's a very very well said and. There's been so many crazy things coming out about the UFC now. I mean, Strike Force I think, kind of proved itself to be just as good as the UFC as far as the fighters are concerned. But then you have a league like Bellator coming around now, and the reason why they're getting kind of a little bit of popular is not, you could throw in the legends and stuff like that, but I think more than anything is Scott Coker being in charge of Bellator. What are your thoughts on Scott Coker?
0: God I love the guy. Um I love fighting for him. I love the way that he treated his athletes. Uh, I love the way that, um, e- even on the production side, the, what they would let us do, you know, like we could be ourselves. There wasn't this black and white mold of how we're supposed to act, what we're supposed to say, what we're supposed to wear. Um, you know, fighting is a very independent thing and, you know, it's, it's not a team sport and it's not the NFL, you know, like we don't have to look the same. Um, You know, we're going in there to like take a dude's arm and try to rip it off or knock him out. And, you know, the UFC with our, with our uniform policies, you know, the no sponsors, uh, not only does it affect us monetarily, but it changes. Um, You know, you got a bunch of robots in there and, you know, they're telling us how they want us to fight they're giving us incentives to fight a certain way. Um, it's taking the the element of this being an individual mixed martial arts exhibition to, hey, we're going to take one guy and another guy and let them do their thing to a really tacky product. And um, I don't want to be tacky or I don't want to be um, a black and white mold of a product.
1: It's so true because of this, you know, this Reebok thing and, and you know, no knock on Reebok, but the, you know, the uniforms look terrible. I mean, I guess it is a knock on them, but the uniforms look terrible. Um, and it's just the pay isn't enough. You think that the fact that Bell Tour is offering these, you know, you, you can go back to the sponsors. You'll probably end up making more money off the sponsors. And their fighter pay it seems to be a little bit better as well because Mitrione just jumped ship, uh, Benson Henderson just jumped ship. You kind of think that with this Reebok deal being the way it is with the uniforms and you know how bad they look and everything else, you think you'll see more guys jumping over to Bellator because of the sponsorships and the money?
0: Yeah, I think so. Um, I think it's close. You know, I think guys are gonna um, guys are gonna realize very soon how much money they're really worth. And uh, that's gonna that's gonna change um, what guys go after. You know, like if if they know they're worth this much money, then you know you can't help but pay them. So it kind of stinks that these athletes don't know how much they're worth yet. Um, but they'll, they'll they'll figure it out.
1: Hopefully so, and I hope with. This- bellator kind of coming on strong thing that the fighters will realize that you could probably make a hell of a lot more money on sponsors the way you do in bellator than obviously you can with the ufc and reebok because i just looked at because they released the figures i look at some of the fighter fans like this i don't know it's like dan maybe dan henderson or somebody you know of of that stature and like a legend like that like a guy got ten thousand dollars of sponsorship money from reebok do you really think that's you know fair to the uh to the fighter
0: yeah that's crazy um It's, you know, it's obviously it's insulting, but it's also just crazy. But, uh, you know, I I, I took a six-digit pay cut uh, when the Reebok deal went into effect.
1: Wow. Absolutely crazy. Think about that why do you think that they went with that Reebok deal? Do you think they just literally want everyone to look the same or what was, what was the thought process? Just the money from Reebok they felt would be enough to, you know, to fit their pockets and not go into the fighter's pockets.
0: Um, so they make a
1: lot of money off
0: of Reebok deal. We don't.
1: Hmm. Not very fair to the fighter whatsoever. And you just kind of hope that the fighters see how unfair it is. What do you think about a guy like Dana White, who's you know he's a cocky, brash, arrogant guy, but then on the other side of it, he's kind of screwing the fighters, and the fighters know it. Um. Well, but he has, you know, he has he has most fighters.
0: Like when I say he has them, you know, like they're stuck on they're stuck on the heroin juice that is fighting. Um, they don't realize what they're worth, and they don't know what other options that they have. Um, you know, and until they understand that they're just going to keep having to get the, the fix, you know, the, the, the tiny little paydays, um, so that they can, you know, pay their mortgage a couple more times.
1: Crazy stuff with the UFC as far as, you know, with the fighter pay and the rebuke, you stuff, but I just wanted to talk about something more positive with the UFC and, when you fought Natal in front of the you know that army base and you were you know you're the conquering hero and you end up knocking him out,
0: what was that
1: like? What was that day like for you? And what was that fight like? And what was your adrenaline like? Because that was quite a moment and then quite a scene after you won. Uh, it, it was
0: it was it was special.
1: Um, it was a lot of fun being part of
0: that card. Uh, you know, like I don't think my UFC career could have been complete without having fought in on a. Um, fight for the troops. Um, you know, like Brian Stan and I, obviously, are like the the, the, the guys that everybody recognizes as both soldier and fighter. Um, so, first, being able to be part of it was amazing and special. You know, being able to see so many faces because there's the special forces unit that is stationed there. Um, so, I have a ton of friends that work there, and um, being able to see so many of them you know, at fight time, which was, was special. And then, uh, you know, like, I had some some real serious problems in my fight camp moving into the fight. Um, I had torn uh, one of my leg muscles pretty horrifically. I was bruised from, like, my knee to my hip. I had makeup on it to hide it from the athletic mission because I wanted to fight so bad. And oh, wow. um, yeah, I was like, hey, can I borrow some of that base? So I could cover the bruise on my leg. <laughs> um, and you'll see that my legs are shaved. I shaved my legs in that fight so I could cover them with makeup. <laughs> it's just hmm. idiotic. So it was, uh, it was fun. It was special, and uh, it definitely it was memorable.
1: Was that kind of one of the worst injuries you had while in training camp, and then kind of going into the fight with that kind of injury?
0: No, I tore a toe off um, in wrestling practice, so that sucked. Hmm.
1: That's kind of uh, gross a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. You know, that's really cool, and being able to fight in front of the troops is really cool. But something that came out recently, and that I thought was kind of funny, because ISIS, um, you know, you made some comments about ISIS, and then they threatened you. What was your kind of thought process there? You know, like, screw you guys kind of thing?
0: Yeah, it was a joke. Um, and, you know, it's, it's like being... Do you have a dog? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so imagine your dog had, like, a litter of puppies, and then you had a runt that had, like, some mental problems, so, like that runt that, like, walked in the wall and didn't really know how to eat, you're like, oh, man... I'm going to have to feed this one by hand. Um, imagine if that puppy just, like, kind of, like, looked up at you and was like, listen, tough guy, I'm going to come and behead you. Like, come on, dude, you're, you're a retarded puppy. Like, you're not scary. <laughs> and there's no element of, of uh, like, dangerous capability that exists within your pathetic little body. I'm going to have to bottle feed you just to keep you alive. And then he's like, I don't care what you say. I'm, I'm still going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to hurt you. You know, like that that's kind of what it felt like.
1: <laughs> it's just so funny because you're so honest and, you you know, you're such a straight shooter. It's just great to see that somebody trying to bully somebody, you know, of your stature and of your background, it's almost funny because you're not going to back down. You're, you know, you're going to say something funny back then.
0: Yeah, uh, I don't have it in me to be like, okay, you sounded scary there. I'm just going to go ahead and be like, I'm sorry, I said some some ugly things about you. Uh, I'm just gonna I'm gonna apologize now. No, <laughs> nope, no, nope, got it.
1: You know, I I technically say you're undefeated in UFC. Obviously, you should be ranked higher than than you are, and you know, possibly a fight with Anderson Silva or Vitor Belfort, which would do some nice. Money either for UFC and for yourself, but do you consider yourself retired at this point since you haven't fought in a couple of years, or, or you know, are you just basically waiting for the next fight? Um,
0: no, I'm just waiting for the next fight. Um, I don't need it. You know, I, I'm, I'm doing TV and movies. Um, all of my companies are doing well. You know, like the only reason I would fight is because I love to fight, and I still love to fight. And that hasn't changed. But I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go and waste my time or, or my brain, um, or my money for that matter, because I would take a pay cut to go back and fight full time. Um, so you know, they they have to give me something significant, a reason to go back in there.
1: Anderson Silva, that's a reason. That, that would be a pretty good one. Would you say, hey, uh, Joe Silva, give me Anderson Silva, and I'll come back? Yeah, absolutely. That would be a hell of a fight, and I'd love to see uh, you know an, another uh, another Brazilian get knocked off by you. I mean, that would be great. But yeah, you know, a guy like his stature would be even greater for your career. But you know, as I start to wind it down a bit here, I just had to know your career. You know, uh, as you, know, you were Green Beret, you're an you know, Army Ranger, everything else. Did you do a lot of, um, I don't even know how to word it, but it's like hand-to-hand tournaments, but within the Army. I mean, where, is that something that you did? Yeah, I did. Um, so the,
0: the tournaments are called All-Army All Combatives Tournament, and it's a hmm. three-day um, purgatory of an event. I, I, I really think it's the toughest hand-to-hand uh, pugilistic event in history, um, barring the gladiators in the arena, so, like, you get there on Thursday, you weigh in on Thursday, you start fighting on Friday. Um, you'll have anywhere between five and ten um, jiu-jitsu matches. Um, and then you move to Saturday, which is the limited striking. Um, everybody moves to it, and then you'll have another three or four limited striking matches in the Pancrase event, which is open palm strikes um, and still all grappling. So it punches, kicks, knees, um, and then all all rap, all grappling, so Pancrase rules, and then the winner of that then goes to the final day for the championship to compete for um, first through fourth place, and then that is a full, complete MMA fight in MMA gloves, um, in in a cage.
1: And I'm guessing that you had a pretty damn good record, uh, you know, through all this. So I'm the only person who have won it the entire tournament three
0: different times. And I think cumulatively, I think I'm like 20 and or 20 or 30 and 0. Um, I never lost, and uh, and obviously won every one of my matches in every phase of the tournament.
1: It's Unbelievable! And just to think that, you know, John McCarthy was saying, "Oh, you know, you haven't been doing this that long." That would be considered, you know, I've been doing it for quite a while. When you, you know, when you really look back at it and think about it. And it's just crazy because those are some of the roughest, toughest guys anywhere. Basically, you could find is fighting you. Wouldn't you know? Wouldn't you say?
0: Yeah, there. Most of the guys that um, have stepped away from their careers, you know, went on to to fight at a very high level. Um, Colton Smith, you know, won the Ultimate Fighter Championship. You know, he's one of the four black belts in all new combatives, like me um Damian Snelly, Andrew Chappelle, you know those guys never committed to, to MMA. They were still full time soldiers, um, and they were still very, very good, both, you know, Bellator, um fighters that are so good. Um, you know, but they they, they had won the all army combatist tournament one time apiece. So they're they're good. Um and uh you could pretty much take any guy that's in that tournament and see him Compete at the highest level of MMA.
1: See, uh, uh, an American hero like yourself who's fought in the, you know, the Afghanistan war and then the war in Iraq, I'd be kind of scared to uh, get in there with you because you know, obviously the hand-to-hand combat feels good, but you got the wrestling, you got the jiu-jitsu, you got the kickboxing, you got the grappling. Pretty much, I've done it all. But if I could ask you, do you have a favorite fight looking back at your career, one that just sticks out? Like, man, that was my favorite win, or like that fight, that was a uh, you know, something that will be remembered forever?
0: Uh, my first fight in the UFC, I fought Hodger Gracie. And in the first round, um, Hodger Gracie took my back. Um, I shot a single leg takedown, and he's like six foot eight, and he kicked his leg over, and he took my back. Um, that really sucked. Um, he's one of the greatest grapplers ever. Um, I think he's probably the greatest ski grappler in the history of the sport. You know, better than Hoist, better than Hickson, better than Hoyler. Um, he is the most talented jujitsu practitioner ever. And that bastard got my back. Um, and I think most people kind of would just be like, Hall Gracie's on my back. Back, this is the end of the fight. Um, I just started to to grab his hands and then try to punch him in the face while he's on my back, Um, which I then escaped and then went on to beat his brains in for 15 minutes. Um, That was a big, big fight because I think it really put out there, one, where my ground, my jiu-jitsu is at um, and two, kind of like where I am um, mentally as an athlete. You know, like they're, you put me in the worst position with the best guy in the world and I'm still going to be that I'm still going to be that same guy that's going to just look for a way to hurt you.
1: It's crazy because, you know, if anybody knows jiu-jitsu, you definitely don't want to be, have somebody take your back. Obviously, the worst position and Hodger Gracie, one of the best jiu-jitsu practitioners of all time, and his, you know, mortal enemy, Jacare. I don't know if you knew this or not, but I guess after the fight, I guess they interviewed him or they interviewed his trainer, or whoever, and they said that he didn't really want to grapple with you. Is that kind of like the ultimate, like uh, you know, compliment that Jacare, this world-class you know grappler, kind of didn't want to get you on the ground? Is that kind of like surreal? It's like, well, really, you know, saying that you know you're such a damn good grappler, might as well just keep it on the seat.
0: Yeah, um, that was a big compliment. Uh, wish I would have known that ahead of time because the whole entire time <laughs> I was just prepping for him to try to take me
1: down. <laughs> yeah I, I i remember that like pretty good i'm like wow it's weird he's not going to take down and you find out afterwards he didn't want to know, yeah, he didn't want to go to the ground with you it's like oh that's like, well, ultimate compliment he didn't want to grapple with you but if i could one final question for the american hero himself and that is where do you see yourself in five years fighting retired doing some more uh hunting hitler where, where would you see yourself I'll
0: I'll still be doing TV, I'll still be doing movies. Um in 5 years from now, I absolutely will not be fighting. I can I can promise you that. Um I'll still be going to Africa to kill poachers. I'll still be, you know, going around the world looking for evil doing evil dudes doing evil things, you know, and putting them in the ground. Um but I, you know, I'm never going to stop until until I die. This is pretty much, you know, you, you're going to get what you pay for and this is this is who I am.
1: Now, if I could ask you for some plugs, where can the, you know, the fine fans find anything Kim Kennedy, and maybe you want to talk a little bit about Ranger Up.
0: So Ra- Ranger Up is in a uh, military apparel company um, started by Nick Palmashano, and uh, I've been part of that company since the very beginning of uh, one of the company, Or and two, they've been su- supporting me since I've started fighting and um they're so special i I think we make the best products in the world and uh the things that we do with um our success you know we take everything that not everything but man we there i don't think there's anybody in the military community that gives back more than us uh we do everything that we can to help our community in every way we can um and i'm just proud to be part of that company they're so special um, you know, my my sponsors, Gerber, the like best knives ever. That's what I carry in Iraq, that's what I carry in Afghanistan, that's what I carry in Pakistan, that's what I use on every T V show I'm on. Um, you know uh if Yoel Romero is allowed to have his stool, I should be able to have a Gerber knife. Um would be a different fight, but that'd be fun. <laughs>
1: um,
0: yeah. So I just, man, you know, Ranger up to the best and Gerber, great products.
1: Absolutely, and you go to rangerup.com, they got stuff for men, stuff for women, signs, posters, whatever you need, just awesome gear. And Tim, this has been a real honor and a real pleasure, and I hope to see you very soon for Hunting Hitler Season 2. Thank you so much for coming on. Yep, thank you.
2: Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, what the world is downloading.